Revelation. We use that word in certain expressions, but what exactly does that mean? You know, we, we say things like, I need a revelation, or it was like a revelation, or I had a revelation. Yeah, what, what does that mean exactly? Sometimes I get a little nervous when someone says, I have a revelation that I want to share with you. Maybe you do too. Well, get nervous because I have one of those stories that to this day, I don't exactly know what to do with. Throughout the years, uh, my wife, Susan, and I, we, we've shared about our years of infertility and, and about miscarriage and heartaches and all those types of things that are attached to that. And it feels like a long time ago since I've mentioned it in a context such as this. And also, you know, four children later, it feels like a different life. But I still remember the pain from my male perspective. And also, I also remember this bizarre scene that unfolded years ago involving Susan. Having completed fertility treatments uh, with two different clinics, we decided to pursue adoption. We were living in New Jersey at the time, and I was a youth pastor, and we took our youth group uh, into Manhattan for a concert. It was a Christian worship concert, David Crowder Bands. And it was absolute mayhem. Standing room only, I had a hard time keeping track of everybody. There was dancing, and there was also legit and powerful spirit-led worship. In the midst of all that, Susan took a few girls to the restroom, and I had no idea if I would ever see any of them ever again. Well, the girls returned long before Susan, and I kept waiting for her to, to, to arrive. And, and when she finally did return, she said, something crazy just happened. Now, we're at a concert, so she had to yell bits of the story into my ear. And she's saying to me, this woman just came up to me and told me that God has heard your prayer. And that he's, he's going to give you what you're praying for, a child. And as she was you know, yelling in between the, the, the songs, she was like, the lady also knew my name. It, it, it was incredible. Now, naturally, my skepticism rose. I mean, were you talking about this with, with the kids as, as you were walking into the restroom? Was this person just eavesdropping from behind a stall? I mean, somebody, somebody probably used your name. Now, it was hard to hear with, with David Crowder singing songs like A Beautiful Collision and all the energy and responsibility around me. And, and later that night, Susan told me the full story and all the details. And I'm like, I didn't know what to do with it. W was it random? Was this, was this person cruel? Was this person a prophetic messenger? Was this a revelation? I now look back at this moment as it announces our exodus out of infertility. Revelation. I also just want to say, often God speaks to the person who has the ears to hear it and the eyes to see it. I don't know if God would have spoken to me had I went to the men's room that night. Now, some have defined revelation as a disclosure of divine special knowledge from God or, or a form of spiritual knowledge given by God. And, and there's different kinds of revelation, special revelation and general revelation. But for today, we're just going to simply define it as a spiritual truth from God. Revelation is a spiritual truth from God. Throughout the series, we have been covering a lot of scriptural ground. And 
We've been looking at key scenes on, on origin and encounter and freedom. And today we're talking about revelation. And as we've been talking about Moses and the Exodus and the people throughout this series, I, I can't help but wonder what he must have been thinking to himself between all these scenes. I mean, he must have asked himself, if, am I crazy? Am I really anointed? Am I really receiving these revelations from God? There's an Arabic expression that, that comes to mind when I, when, I, when I read some of these texts and, and when I think of how Moses must have felt and what he must have muttered under his breath you know, as he was dealing with the people. I don't know if you know this, but I happen to be the Arabic scholar on the Grace Chapel pastoral staff. Uh, much to my parents' pride, I can count all the way up to 10 in Arabic. Um, I, I, I know my shamal in my yameen, my left from my right. And I, I, if I went to Egypt all by myself, I, I probably would only get a little ripped off by the cab driver as opposed to completely ripped off. Also, uh, Moses spoke in Hebrew and ancient Egyptian, and the Arabic language doesn't exist for a few more thousand years. So he, he actually didn't say this under his breath. But it's a word that comes to, comes to my mind when I keep reading these texts, and it's, I want to teach it to you. And it's, yo, can you try it? Just humor me a little bit. Try, try from wherever you are. Yo, not bad. You, you, you got to add more O's and H's and U's and, and, and you'll get it. And, it. and it means something like, come on. Uh-oh. It's, it's the sound you, you make when you're exasperated. Yo, come on. But you can also use it when you're in complete awe and you abbreviate it. Yo, yo. You can say it in different ways. Keep it handy. We're, we're going to revisit that. But at this point in our series, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they are now in the wilderness, and they're about to get lost for 40 years. Yo! But today, we want to focus on the revelation that Moses receives from God when he is given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So first, let's set up the scene. Three months after the miraculous deliverance out of Egypt, Moses' people stop in the desert. And this is what Exodus 19 says. Three months after leaving Egypt, the Israelites entered the wilderness of Sinai. They followed the route from Rephidim and arrived at the wilderness of Sinai, and they set up camp. Israel camped there facing the mountain. Now, this isn't your typical camp. For one, it's a budding nation of people. How many people? Well, we don't know. <laughs> some say 30,000. Some say 2 million. <laughs> yeah, I know a wide discrepancy, and the census takers weren't very reliable. Now, you can make a set of arguments for just about any number. A smaller number, some, some like to argue, shows that the power of God was at work in such a tiny population. And we also hear the Israelites grumble that they are a very small nation compared to the other countries. But there's also good reason to consider the number is a million or more. For instance, Exodus 12, chapter 37 says, there were 600,000 men. Now, that's a number that some find symbolic, but it's there. Also consider that the Israelites were in Egypt for more than 200 years. And so a million people is possible. I personally tend to lean towards the higher number, like a million or so, and I'll share a little bit more about why. Uh, a million for context is like, you know, if you know the country of Estonia, that's about a million, 1.5 million people, or, or Bahrain. 
Uh, Boston proper has about 700,000 people. So somewhere in between all of that, think of the entire city of Boston camping out, facing the mountain of Sinai. Keep those high numbers in mind as, as we keep reading, but it's, that's like a, whoa, yo, there's a lot going on there. Verse 3 continues. It says, Moses went up to meet God, and God called down to him from the mountain. Speak to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. If you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, out of all peoples, you'll be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine to choose from, but you're special. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. Moses came back and called the elders of Israel together and set before them all these words which God had commanded him. And the people were unanimous in their response. Everything God says, we will do. And Moses took the people's answer back to God. That's a moment. Now, biblical scholar Pete Enns explains that the setup looks like this because that's the way that the kings of the ancient world would would set up their address to the people uh, of their country. They would gather their population. They would organize them by groupings and tribes. And and they would begin by explaining what they did for those people, how they deserve their loyalty, and that was expected, and then what the laws of the land were going to be. And this scene is set up very similarly, except for one major difference. Instead of Moses setting himself up as king, the God Yahweh is the king of Israel. God said to Moses, get ready. I'm about to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people can listen in and trust you completely when I speak with you. Again, Moses reported the people's answer to God and God said to Moses, go to the people for the next two days. Get these people ready to meet the holy God. Have them scrub their clothes so that on the third day they'll be fully prepared because on the third day God will come down on Mount Sinai and make his presence known to all the people. Post boundaries for all the people around telling them, warning, don't climb the mountain. Don't even touch the edge. Whoever touches the mountain dies a certain death. And no one is to touch that person. That person is to be stoned. That's right, stoned or shot with arrows, shot to death. Animal or man, whatever, put to death. A long blast from the horn will signal that it is safe to climb the mountain. It gets really intense there, even a bit scary. Why the threats? Now remember, there could be like a million or so people involved here. So we need some order. Not only that, not just order, but holy reverence is needed. This moment in Israel's infancy is extremely important. It's foundational. And God said to Moses to tell the people, hey, We have to get ready and we have to be on our A game. The way of the world does not work. Look what it was like in Egypt. And wait till you see the wickedness of the Canaanites. No, God is about to reveal a better way. A better way of life, of justice, of peace, of love, even one of prosperity and blessing. God is about to give the people a divine revelation and they must be prepared for it. 
We must remember the old Egyptian way of doing things was the only way that that generation of people knew. Ethnically, they were Israelites, but culturally, they were influenced by the mixture of Hebrew and Egyptian culture that they had been living in for the past two centuries. It's also possible that there was some low percentage of Egyptians that left with Moses and the Israelites. Now hear me out for for a moment as, as my family knows a little something about leaving Egypt. Legend has it that before my parents started their dating relationship, my mom went out on a date with this other guy. He was nice. He loved Jesus. Uh, interestingly, my mom's sisters also thought he was a really great guy. And so, so they went out on, on, on a couple dates. And as my mom was considering a long-term future at this restaurant, she asked him, do you dream about immigrating to America like, like I do? And he, the guy stops and he, as the story goes, he's like, no, no, I could never leave the land of my fathers and forefathers. And he wanted to raise his family in Egypt. So my mom, you know, put a smile on her face and she's like, that's great. But inside my mom was like, yo. And she went home and she told her sisters that she's not taking any more phone calls from that guy. Fast forward a year or so, my parents, Amir and Eva, are talking in church and they go out to dinner and and Eva asks Amir, and, and she started this question a little bit earlier in the relationship this time. She says, do you ever think about leaving Egypt? And as the story goes, you know, they were in the midst of talking about all these other things, but the mood got real serious. And, and Amir puts down his fork, and, and with a look of reverence and hope, he leans over the table and says, every day I pray that God would let me win the immigration lottery so I can leave Egypt my bags are packed. My mom said my bags are packed too. They started dating. They got married a couple of years later. They immigrated six months after tying the knot. Sometime after that, I was born here in New Jersey. My point is people have been trying to leave Egypt for millennia. I mean, think about it. If you were an Egyptian in Moses' time, and you were in a society where your entire existence revolved around the Pharaoh, and a thousand pagan gods. And then this leader named Moses emerges onto the scene, a Hebrew raised in Pharaoh's palace, not just fluent in both cultures, but a prophet of God. And this God has humiliated the Pharaoh to the point that all the firstborn sons of Egypt died. It's fairly natural that people like my parents are going to join Moses' caravan. I'm the oldest in my family. So I hope they put the lamb's blood on the door like their Hebrew neighbors did so that my life would have been spared. Maybe you can relate to this in your own way and in your own family story. But maybe they leave with the rest of them in this miraculous deliverance and we make it to Sinai and we're all camped out trying to figure out what's next, looking for a revelation. Ha, <laughs> the revelation in chapter 20. The giving of the Ten Commandments. It says, And God spoke all these words, I am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. No other gods, only me. Here we have the, the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure you're familiar with them to, to, to some extent. You know, it, it reads, You shall have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. 
Thou shalt not take the, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Yeah, you're probably familiar with these. And you probably have a, a number of various reactions to the idea of the Ten Commandments. You know we're supposed to revere these, but, but they, they feel dated and, and stiff. And I don't know, for some of us of a certain age, we, we also can't help but think of Monty Python's search for the Holy Grail at this point too, right? The Lord Jehovah has given you unto, unto you these 15, and he drops an entire tablet. Oi! <laughs> Yo, ten, ten commandments for all to obey. I'm sorry, it, it literally cracks me up every time I think about it. Now that we got that out of the way, though, these ten commandments, they begin this holy covenant with God. They end up becoming the bedrock of the law of Moses. And in these next set of chapters, they begin the laws for a new society. And given the likely population, they needed law and order pretty fast because it was going to turn into wild, wild west type of situation very quickly. After giving the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 tells us all the people experienced the thunder and lightning and the trumpet blast and the smoking mountains. They were afraid and they pulled back and they stood at a distance and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. And then Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you and instill a deep and reverent awe within you so that you won't sin. Yo, yo. This was the revelation that Moses' people needed. In fact, they didn't even know how much they needed this revelation. We also are in need of God's divine revelation because we also live in a wicked and broken world. I bet when it comes to the Ten Commandments, you, you, you're probably pretty good at keeping a, a certain percentage of them, right? Like, you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, f you're good at that, right? I mean, formally, we don't name other gods before the true and living God. However, we are prone to not only put, to, to, we are prone to not put God first on our list, right? Or the second one, thou shall not, Make unto thee a, gra a graven image. I mean, we don't carve graven images of other gods, but we do buy a lot of material possessions that seem to represent our hidden values, our small lowercase g gods at times. Thou shalt not take the, the Lord's name in vain. Okay, got, got most of us on that one, right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Oh, Sabbath, Sabbath keeping is a challenge, especially with these busy lives we live. Honor your father and mother. Currently in a better place with that personally, but I had to work on that. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, I've, I've never done that. You probably haven't either. But as long as we don't count the violence my world is a part of and the anger that is burned so great for one another that I wish them pain and agony. You know, I haven't I actually committed murder in action, but man, sometimes in my heart I get so angry that, oh, kind of scary what I think about sometimes. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Never done that either. But I'm also haunted by how Jesus tells us that if I ever lusted, then we have broken, then I've broken this commandment in my heart. 
Thou shalt not steal. I've never shoplifted. I've never stolen money from someone else's pocket. But let me ask you, have, have you ever stolen credit? Have you ever stolen an opportunity that didn't really belong to you? I've had to repent of such things. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Ouch, I've repented of that. You shall not covet. Yes, I've repented of that as well. These Ten Commandments, as archaic as they can sometimes feel, contain a lot of needed rebuke. And as I reflect, they remind me of my sin and my brokenness. They move me to my repentance. And they also tell me very clearly that I need Jesus to save me and to help me. Even today, these 10 words can be a revelation to us. Jesus, the one who leads us in our own exodus out of our sin and evil and into the marvelous light as Peter describes. Now, we don't have time today to do the deep dive But as you study scripture, you see that Jesus' life went through a very similar arc as Israel. You may remember that Jesus' parents had to flee to Egypt to escape Herod's massacre of the innocents. That edict that struck all the firstborn sons in Israel. In the Old Testament, Jacob's family had to flee to Egypt to escape the death of the famine. Then the exodus out of Egypt and, and the temptations in the wilderness. Now here, Moses is going to fail in the wilderness, but Jesus is going to resist the devil's temptations. And then as it relates to to this scene, uh, Moses gathers the people uh, in Mount Sinai, and and Jesus is going to gather the people at the Sermon on the Mount. And we see this resembling of what happens in Sinai and, 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 and what happens on the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's no confusion. Jesus gives this revelation. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I've come not not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, friends, we've covered a lot of ground here. And I want to make sure that we we finish this message uh, being practical and personal. There is a lifelong set of God-given revelations that Jesus has for you as he leads you out of your exodus, out of your old life. Praise God for this. Not not just uh, for for what the Lord has done in, in, in deliverance, but also for revelation. Now the answer that we have to, the answer to the question, the question that we have to ask ourselves now is what now? God has truth to give to you. And like a merciful God, the Lord does not drop it all on us all at once. As we launched our our ministry year, uh, we said that we had two strategic initiatives for this this upcoming ministry year. One was discipleship, and the other was serving and volunteering. And praise God that we're we're growing in both. And as a pastor of discipleship here at Grace Chapel, I I wanted to share a set of encouragements that I found lifting uh, as, as we were on this journey. We've had several hundred people fill out this discipleship planning tool. And one of the questions that that this tool asks is, what is one spiritual practice that you want to work on for the next three months? 61% said prayer. 51% said scripture. Interestingly, there was 24% said Sabbath keeping. The revelation from God is that we can receive 
by growing in one spiritual practice over the next three months. We can receive revelation from God from in growing in one of these spiritual practices for the next three months. I was so encouraged that this many people wanted to pursue these practices. Yo, in the good sense, with every ounce of encouragement I can give you, I'd, I'd love for you, if you haven't already filled this out, go to grace.org, The Journey. Fill it out. There's a PDF that's going to be customized and personalized that's going to be sent to you. And then open it. Use it. Print it. And take advantage of the resources. Maybe just one resource over the next three months. A book or a video like the, like the Bible Project videos that have been very helpful to me. Uh, books and resources and podcasts that, that you can listen to daily. A book that might change your life. There are group offerings. There are volunteer experiences. Truthfully, a lot can be revealed to you. And I get excited about the possibility of growing in these practices in community. That's the journey that we're on. And, and it's the with God life. Sometimes the revelation from God that, that we receive leads us to the next step of our journey. Sometimes it, it leads us to reconciliation with someone or to God. Sometimes it, it points to a once-in-a-lifetime, hard-to-believe, get-ready moment like my wife Susan experienced earlier. And sometimes it, it leads us to a moment of just receiving God's unconditional and extraordinary love that we needed to feel right then. The same God who led Moses' people in Exodus and out of Egypt wants to deliver you and to reveal truth to you and hope to you and love to you. It will stretch you. It will challenge you. Maybe even break you for a time. But remember, God is with you. Receiving a revelation of God is always an act of faith. And so, friends, as we begin a new week, may we meditate on, on the ways that God is trying to speak to us. And may you consider, as Jesus leads you in an exodus out of your old life, there is a lifelong set of God-given revelations that Jesus has for you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the way that you work and the way that you have worked throughout Scripture and the way that you will work in our lives and the way that you are at work in our loved ones' lives. And we invite you, Lord, to keep working. We desire, Lord, to receive these divine revelations, these this knowledge of spiritual truth from you. So we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, so that we can hear from you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.